If you are a startup looking to grow in Cambridge, the Bradfield Centre offers a range of flexible membership packages which put you in control of your office and home working mix. There's a vibrant, collaborative atmosphere, on-site cafe, plenty of green outside space and regular member social events. For more information, visit bradfieldcentre.com or call 01223 919600. Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. Hello, I'm James. Hello, I'm Faye. So the company that we're talking to today, I've just put on the 21 to watch long list for 2023. So I'm super excited to have them this early on the program. They've created a revolutionary new deep tech that's going to make tiny machine learning work in commercial applications. So the the big news is this week, they made a global announcement. So they talked about three things, the capability of this new tech, the first use case, and working with a US-based silicon provider, Sintian. So this is like literally hot off the press. They're just back from Cyprus and the tiny ML forum that was held out there. And, you know, I'm pretty excited to be able to speak to the CEO, Colin Payne, and COO, Jana Voigt. Welcome, Colin and Jana. Um, Let's start with some introductions. So, Colin, would you like to go first? Yeah, sure. My name's Colin Payne. I'm the CEO of InfoSense, a Cambridge-based tech company. Hi, and I'm Jana Voigt. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of InfoSense. Fabulous. Well, thanks both for taking the time uh, to come onto the show. I know you're both very busy right now. Uh, And that's really, I guess, the the essence of my first question. You're obviously a Cambridge-based deep tech startup. You've just come out of stealth mode, which is exciting. Uh, And you've got a really big announcement this week. Would you mind uh, sharing what that is? Okay, so yeah, we're as you said, we're just coming out of stealth mode. We have announced our battery-powered deep tech sensor technology. And this is a really important tech that uses deep learning to infer data from a range of on-device sensors. And it's a little bit like uh, humans would sense, smell, feel the rain, and from that they know it's raining. Uh, Our tech uses the same sort of mixture of inputs to to give a really valuable output. We've announced a really important working relationship with Sintient. Uh, They are the provider of neural accelerator chips, basically the silicon that we need to deliver this cool on-device capability. And last but not least, we've also announced the launch of our product, which um, we are planning to get onto the market in early 2023. Fantastic. So can I just kind of unpick a couple of those things that you just said? Why don't you just talk us through the technology, but specifically, you know, I'm really interested in the battery powered piece because you're also using that as as a bit of a USP by the sounds of it. Yeah, sure. So the sort of the sort of processing that we're doing simply couldn't have been done before because if you're gathering all of this sensor information and then you have to send it wirelessly, that really costs a lot in energy terms. And we have a very low energy budget. We're trying to run devices on a battery for multiple years. So by carrying out this deep learning on device, it actually cuts down the power requirement for those devices. 
Importantly, what it allows us to do is really put sensors into areas where there is no power supply. And it also allows us to deploy sensors at large scale, so in, in lots of different areas. You know, we sort of but flippantly said monitoring the unmonitorable, but that's because we can put sensors into environments where to date you couldn't have put sensors to do that kind of analysis. And, and you're developing both the hardware and the software, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. It's an end-to-end solution. And what kind of benefits does the technology bring? You touched there on kind of bringing, you know, monitoring to the unmonitored. So, yeah, this is enabling us to do things that previously really weren't achievable. So there might have been uh, applications where sensor hardware was simply too expensive or it required loads of power. By using our tech, we can put this into places where this couldn't be done before, even generating new sensor values that simply weren't available. You've been working on this technology for a number of years. There's obviously been challenges. You've already alluded to some of them. Can you tell us what some of those challenges have been and why now you're ready to be able to go to market? Yes. So when we started out this journey, this was back in 2017, and this is really the early days of Google's TensorFlow machine learning platform. It had only been around for about a year. We were able to achieve some really encouraging results from our early models But the reality is to uh, deliver that as an end solution meant that we had to backhaul all of that data to the cloud to then process it in our machine learning models. And that simply wasn't practical. That meant that these devices with that sort of wireless requirement would last maybe a week on a battery. That wasn't going to cut it. So we knew we had to take this machine learning to the edge to actually process on device. The problem was back in 2017, there was no suitable silicon available. Nobody was developing products to do this. And we had considered things like field programmable gate arrays, which are very efficient in their power use, but it simply, again, wasn't practical, especially when you're looking at updating over the air. So is it fair to say it's one of those, you you had the vision and you just kept going because you knew that technology would catch up? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, we, we absolutely knew that technology was going to be available for us in a period of time to deliver this. There were, uh, there were there was talk of silicon being developed, but it just wasn't on the market at the time. And I guess our CTO, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Peace, he's been having his ear to the ground and we've been looking repeatedly and repeatedly at technology opportunities. Some have come in, some have dropped off. And that was probably the first one where we really felt, yeah, now's the time to make this into a product. Yeah, and the reality is we had plenty to get on with. You know, it wasn't we weren't kicking our heels. We had a lot of model refinement work to do. We had customer engagement to get involved in, and we were fortunate in securing some R&D funding from Innovate UK back in 2020. And that really gave us some very valuable insight into what customers actually needed. So that, that's really what's helped us to, to drive the product forward to where it is today. So, Jana, you mentioned the first product was going to be available early next year. Could you tell us what that first use case is going to be? Yeah, absolutely. So the first product we're launching is a combined water flow and temperature monitoring device. And really, it's intended for the monitoring of Legionella risk in commercial properties. Now, it's probably something most people haven't really heard about. I hadn't when I first got involved with the company a few years ago. But essentially, Legionella is a bacteria which is always present in water in buildings. And if your water is uh, stagnating and is, it's too it's sort of tepid, it's not hot enough, cold enough, it can build up. The problem you get in those situations is that you can end up 
uh, getting huge amounts of Legionella in your system. And if you then inhale that by aerosols from taps or something, you can get a really, really severe form of pneumonia. So what happens really in, in the sort of uh, developed world, public health authorities, the WHO, everyone has put sort of guidelines and regulations in place to say you have to monitor your water system, you have to test temperature regularly, and you have to make sure water is flowing. The problem is right now, there is no real technology way of doing that. Everything is done manually. Engineers are sent out. They have to um, test temperatures. They have to take uh, manual notes on temperature readings they've done. And they have to flush lots and lots of taps or showers where they think there might have been stagnation. Really, what we're trying to do is take a lot of that manual burden away. And by putting sensors where normally an engineer would have had to go and take a temperature, a manual probe, we can make their lives easier and at the same time save costs and also save a lot of water, CO2 and uh, energy. Do you have a specific use case that can help everyone understand a, a particular situation? Yeah, I think a great example, actually, in our fairly early stages when we were really trying to get a sense of what the market needed, we spoke to uh, a university, UK-based university, and for them, they had real challenges. So uh, across their campus, they have 4,000 showers. So ignore the other many thousands of other outlets they have to test and flush. They have 4,000 showers. The problem is they really don't know. They can't guarantee which of those showers is being used from any week, from one week to the next, even if they're in occupied rooms. So by virtue of their risk assessment, uh, they have to go and flush every shower for seven minutes every week. Now that equates to about 10.4 million litres of heated water being flushed down the drain, effectively four Olympic-sized swimming pools. And also it's it's incredible. And to deliver that, they have uh, the equivalent uh, of 12 full-time engineers doing nothing but flushing showers. And this is, for somebody that's a qualified engineer, they've got high hopes of what they're going to deliver in their career, but they're flushing showers. For them, they see it as a yeah, a really onerous sort of activity. And it comes with so many levels of inaccuracy as well. It's, uh, it's, it's shocking. The environmental impact is terrible. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. The environmental impact has to be huge of that. It is. And then the reality is probably 80% of those showers probably wouldn't need flushing because they have been used. Flow has been happening. So they're absolutely safe. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's energy, it's heated water, there's a water shortage crisis coming our way, and we are flushing down hot, clean drinking water down a drain when actually there's no actual health need to do it. We estimated at the time, this was, I'm thinking three and a bit years ago, maybe four years ago, it was about half a million pounds a year we calculated in total costs of human resource, uh, water, energy, all the costs associated with delivering this activity. If you now factor in the increased energy costs, water, uh, increased water costs, it's just a phenomenal waste of everything for something that delivers no value. Interesting. How does the actual product work? Is it complicated? Is it expensive? Or is it fairly straightforward? Yeah, so this is exactly what we're targeting. We want to make this simple for people. They, uh, the users can just snap these onto pipes Uh, common pipe uh, diameters and uh, from the point that it's attached it starts to publish data starts to monitor the environment so we try to make this a really simple onboarding process and deliver value from day one and the devices are small I mean they're probably only about a couple of inches maybe three inches max 
So there's always a sort of small enough space where you can fit it. Having said that, I really hope that going forward, buildings when they are being built and commissioned will have these kind of sensors integrated as part of their design. Because fundamentally, I think all water systems need to be looked at and monitored comprehensively. And again, our system would really enable that. How unique is this product in the marketplace? Just first of all, the, the sort of the Legionella risk monitoring use case, that itself is a substantial market. So when we started looking into this um, and we looked back at ONS data and really tried to get, get our head around the numbers, there are over 7 million properties in the UK alone where you have to do this kind of monitoring. So essentially any property which has a it's public facing or has employees has a legal requirement to do this monitoring. And that's just the UK. Obviously, we're talking Europe, we're talking the US, we're talking other developed nations. So it's, it's a global market, it's a global problem. So obviously, when we started looking at this sort of area, we thought, well, why aren't people already monitoring this with technology? Because the reality is whenever we talk to people, it's manual. People send engineers out. And then we realized the problem is that the existing technology just can't really handle scale. It is either invasive, so you have things like mechanical uh, flow sensors, which have to be cut into pipes and stored into pipes, obviously has a contamination risk as well. Uh, you have something like ultrasonic flow sensors. They're non-invasive, but they're over a £1,000, maybe £3,000 a device. The reality is in the water system of a decent-sized building, you probably send an engineer to test about 20 to 100 different uh, points. You couldn't put 20 to 100 of these ultrasonic flow sensors into, into your water system. So really, when we started looking, there wasn't a real technology competitor. Um, and that's where we felt we are first to market. It's the first combined temperature and flow monitor. What are you going to do to shake that market up from a cost basis as well? If it's going to be simple to attach, simple onboarding, small devices, what, what's the pricing mechanism going to be like? Yeah, and this is this is really important because when we did our study back in 2020, we this was a critical thing for us. We needed adoption to be as frictionless as possible. So we've opted for uh, an OPEX model, so the uh, sensing as a service where customers are charged on a sensor point basis. They don't have to pay any capex. There's no purchasing of hardware up front. We deliver all of that. It's put in, it gets turned on, and from day one, they're able to potentially save money. Is it available now as well? Is the product actually available in the marketplace? Can people contact you and, and, and buy it? No, so it's not launched yet. Um, yeah, I think Jana mentioned that uh, yeah, we're aiming for a spring launch next year. However, we're engaging at the moment, we've got six customer pilots lined up between the end of October and early next year. And of course, we're going to use that information to help us refine our proposition, make sure the customers are getting exactly what they need, the right level of service. Uh, we've got input from external experts to help us in terms of the kinds of reports that are required for those customers. So we're delivering a total service. And once we've got that packaged up, and we're absolutely certain of the quality of what we're delivering, then we're going to hit with our commercial launch to the UK market initially uh, in March 2023. I mean, we would always be interested to hear from people who would like to um, talk to us, would maybe want to try our uh, product out, because we are sort of thinking that a few pilots, in addition to the ones we'd already planned, would be very interesting. So please do reach out.
That's great. Now, so this is the first use case. Um, how do you see this proprietary tech expanding into other areas? It's a really good question because fundamentally, the way our sensors work, you could, with relatively little effort, change it around and you could monitor something completely different. It wouldn't even have to be, let's say, fluid. It could be monitoring a different environment. It could be people always ban things around like air quality monitoring or uh, occupancy detection. I'm not saying we're going to do these sort of uh, product uses, but there are so many areas people keep on throwing at us all the time. It's like, why can't, why don't we do that? And the reality is, I think what's really exciting for us, we want to work with other technology organizations or real customers who understand that they have a problem to really see if our sensors can maybe for the first time solve some of their pain points they have around monitoring their assets. So in the introduction, you referenced Sentient, a relationship you have on the silicon side of things. Could you maybe just tell us how you started working together, how that relationship has developed and what they bring to the proposition? Yeah, definitely. Uh, they've been really great for us, uh, very supportive. We identified them last year, actually. We were watching them uh, as they went through funding rounds, and they were on our target list of uh, potential silicon vendors. We got in contact with them early. We effectively had to sell our proposition to them to, to get the sort of level of support that we required from them. So they've been an incredible organization to work with, very supportive of our requirements, uh, and they've helped us through to the stage right now where we're delivering uh, deep learning on a very ultra-low-powered uh, embedded device. Fantastic. Well, let's pick up the deep learning point as well. I mean, deep learning is very Cambridge. Um, you're a Cambridge-based company. So let's spend a little bit of time talking about that. I, I assume that that gives you a real competitive advantage using advanced deep tech capability in, in maybe a field that traditionally hasn't had that. So could you talk us through the deep learning side of things and does being based in Cambridge give you an advantage there in terms of finding the right kind of talent to invest in those areas? Yeah, you're kind of answering the question there for us. It's uh, Cambridge has been really good for us. When we, yeah, this is where we decided to set up. We knew it's a rich pool of talent there. It doesn't it doesn't make recruiting people easy because uh, it's a very competitive marketplace. But it's been great for us. But also just the ecosystem within Cambridge, very supportive peer companies, um, contacts that are always willing to help and you know, just see other other companies succeed. So it's been a fantastic environment for us. In terms of the deep sensing question, that's really core to the future adjacencies that we're targeting. We've been working very hard to make sure that this platform we're developing delivers very effectively for this use case that Yana was discussing a minute ago. But really importantly, this is something that we want to be trans technology. So when the next opportunity comes along to address a really challenging sensor requirement, we have the platform there that enables us to do very fast-paced delivery of new products. So we don't have that multi-year uh, lead time to get another product to market. So you've had a bit of a bumper year. Um, you raised about a million dollars earlier on in the year, an oversubscribed funding round, um, which was really positive for you. What what are your next plans for funding? Well, we've got a requirement. Once we've delivered our first UK product, we're looking for a follow-on round that will bridge us through until Series A. So we haven't fine-tuned the exact details of exactly when Series A will kick in, but we're looking at potentially uh, towards the end of next year, 
possibly even the full, uh, start of the following year. Are there any highs or lows in the funding journey or the general startup journey that you've had over the last few years? Yeah, I mean, this. I guess we're, we're going to have both have our views on this. For me, it's been a really exciting process, uh, incredibly challenging times, really exhausting, but but again, fundamentally really exciting. It's been an, an absolute pleasure to get up in the morning and come to work. It just feels like it's a, an absolute passion. It would be wrong to say that fundraising is easy. It's not. It takes a huge amount of effort and a huge amount of discipline, but... We got there really through dint of hard work and, yeah, that disciplined approach. It's also been very interesting because you learn a lot from the questions you get. So we've met so many investors and some haven't invested, not because they didn't think the technology was great, but maybe we were just at the wrong stage of the company. And I think a a young entrepreneur will always say, oh, well, maybe talk to us later. And... We have not really sort of lost heart on that, but it was listening to all these people who have had lots of experience. A lot of have founded their own companies. So they've also been really helpful. So sometimes people said, well, it's not for me, but can I introduce you to someone else? And that's been actually a really, really mm. positive journey. And interestingly, it all came together quite quickly, I think, when we sort of started finding the right investors who also aligned with us. Suddenly it all came together. We reached a critical mass pretty quickly and it just feels like it's then an unstoppable force. You know, once you get that ball rolling, people just seem to come along for the ride. It was really exciting. But but fundraising also is, you know, you are obviously asking people to invest in your company. You're selling a bit of your company to to do something, to accelerate, to bring a product to market, like in our case. But investors do more than just bring money. And I think that was also really important, having a strategic investor come on board mm-hmm. who themselves, for example, have lots of properties. That is has helped us, is still helping us. But it also means that we can learn from them. They can input into our business strategy going forward. So I think an important thing for me is to just remember investors are on your side. They now want to be part of your business and want to help you build the business. And actually, really importantly, they know people that want to be involved in future rounds as well as themselves. So, yeah, they're a great uh, entree to the next uh, the next rounds. So are there any lessons that you would like to share with your fellow startup entrepreneurs? Yeah. And again, Johan and I will have, I'm sure, um, different thoughts on this. But my belief is you need absolute faith in what you're doing, a, a knowledge that what you're doing is right, but also... Uh, you need to be sufficiently honest with yourself to deal with the big hard facts and challenges when they occur. Do not persuade yourself that everything is okay when the facts tell you otherwise. You've got to be prepared to really stare them in the face, adjust and move on. And also, uh, I guess the the thing that all entrepreneurs talk about is this need for gritty tenacity. Uh, It's absolutely right. You will fail at times. You will get knocked back. But you have to be able to pick yourself up again, learn from it and then charge on. Yeah, and and my so what I really felt it was really important to listen, even if it's sometimes hard to hear. Most people, when they tell you something, it's not because they want to be mean or want to be evil or knock you back, but actually because they're trying to help you. So listen, 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 and then really rethink what are you doing. Also, be prepared to tear things up and start again. I mean, we had to write probably so many versions of our pitch deck. The technology hasn't changed. We just didn't get it right explaining what we're doing and Mm. why we're doing the things we're doing. I think especially a lot of tech entrepreneurs, we always start explaining what we're doing and not really what the problem is underneath it. 
And that kind of brings me to my last point. I think fundamentally, really, you should always start with a customer problem. It's all about what problem are you trying to solve for the customer? Don't think you're going to change behaviors or, or, or make people do something they've never done before. Just make their lives easier. Um, we're not trying to push tech, which we think is cool. We think the tech is cool. But really, what we're trying to find is areas where our technology can solve real customer pain points. And, and on that last point, I think you've definitely found one with your first use case, haven't you? Mm, certainly feels that way. Yeah, when we're talking to organisations out there, it feels like we're pushing on an open door. Yes. So it's been a real privilege talking to the both of you, you know, relatively early on in your journey, even though I'm, I'm sure it, you feel like you've been at the coalface for a very long time, but you're just out of stealth mode, just had this big announcement. Um, you've touched on the product being available next spring. Uh, but what about the company in general? You know, what's next? Are you growing? What's the situation? Yeah, we've we've just been through a whole round of recruitment. We're building the team. But really importantly, we've now got a pretty surgical focus on delivering these customer pilots, delivering the certified product ready for manufacturing and launch next spring, and really critically hitting revenue targets. We can't do this without uh, turning it into a rev revenue generating business. And then once we're there, it's uh, about the points we touched on earlier, looking for those adjacent applications, both for the flow sensing product, but also our core deep learning sensor platform. And um, I'm really thinking of a company sort of from two to three years backwards. I think in, in about three years time, I think we have a great team. We have got a much larger team. We're probably going to be three times the size. There'll be plenty of our sensors for our first product in the field. And really what I'm hoping that we're going to have a real pipeline of the next products which are in development. And um, yeah, hopefully InfoSense will be up there with with all the other Cambridge, uh, great Cambridge tech yep. companies which sort of come out of the Cambridge ecosystem. Yeah, maybe we can start investing back in uh, the Cambridge ecosystem again. That's great. Well, we'll be, we're going to be watching with a lot of interest. Yeah, well, thanks to both of you again for spending the time to come onto the show. It's very much appreciated. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, James and Faye. It's uh, been really good to talk to you. Really nice to speak to you. And, and thanks for giving us a chance to yeah, talk to you guys. Thank you. So next week, we are going to be talking to Tong Tong Zhu about his plans for Porotech. Yeah, really looking forward to next week's show. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcasting app of choice to ensure you don't miss a show. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show.